We're very pleased to be joined by Ben Maliso. He is a security guru, uh, a trainer at Wannabea. Uh, he's an author published, including Exposed, How Revealing Your Data and Eliminating Privacy Increases Trust and Liberates Humanity. And he himself, a podcast host uh, for Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. So look for that and, and listen. Uh, it's a great listen. Uh, ben, welcome. Thank you for taking some time to to be with us. And if you don't mind giving us a brief intro in your own words, so I didn't mess anything up, I'd love it. I, I think you did it better than I could have. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I really appreciate the invite. Um, I love everything you said. I I refrain from calling myself a guru, but I love hearing other people say it. So um, uh, yeah, I try to do some training. I try to do a lot of cert prep stuff. Uh, I try to stay active in the industry, do some consulting on the side. And I've been doing this for, man, every time I say this, it just makes me feel older, more than two decades. And uh, I enjoy it a lot. I like helping folks attain their goals. And uh, I enjoy both creating and delivering content. Yeah. And you're good at it. So we're privileged to have you uh, again. Thanks so much. Thank you. So jumping right into it, Ben, uh, the title of your book, I think pretty much spoils it, but I'd love to have your theory on data privacy in today's day and age, if you could share with the listeners. My pleasure. And and it's a horrible title. Um, <laughs> uh, I liked the exposed part, but then we had to go and, and drill down in the weeds and kind of kill the joke with spelling everything out at that length. But, uh, you know, I get a lot of questions about it. And I get a lot of questions about my perspective. I'm actually not against privacy. I'm uh, kind of a quasi-private person myself. Uh, I was raised with the concept of privacy and respecting other people's privacy. Uh, but I've also worked in the military and I've worked in journalism where uh, countering other people's privacy is part of the job. Finding out as much uh, about your subjects as possible is what you attempt to do. Uh, and one of the things that I've seen over over the many years is that our illusion or our attempt at creating and maintaining privacy is failing miserably. We have what I consider a facade of privacy where there are enough entities out there that know a little bit about each of us. And if you were to put all those entities together in the aggregate, they know everything about every one of us. So when we try to do things like make rules and laws and regulations, what we're doing is two things. One, we're increasing this uh, fake representation that someone could be private if they choose to, like if they went and lived like Ted Kaczynski in some, you know, mountain cabin out in Montana or something. And two, we're hindering the ability of sharing information and increasing productivity among small and medium-sized entities and individuals by stifling their expression. And what you're really doing is you're giving the larger entities a disproportionate control over information by uh, continuing this illusion of privacy. So things like governments, banks, large companies, they'll continue to exploit all of your data with very little reward to you as the individual. And that's my perspective about it. So the premise of the book isn't that privacy is bad. It's that when we try to chase privacy and force privacy, the negative effects outweigh the benefits 
And that really the only way to go from here on out is we're going to have to outgrow the concept of privacy and instead lose shame and um, help people understand each other better through knowledge. And I'm sorry, that may have been a little long. No, no. Perfect explanation. It makes me think of, uh, you know, I've heard many people reference, like from a paparazzi perspective, if you think about famous people, how there's so many people that are just, their lives are miserable because they're trying to remain private and so on. And then you go, and the example that I always hear is Keanu Reeves, who rides the subway and just sits there and, yeah, you know, has been been caught in many a meme, like eating a cupcake that he bought for himself for his birthday on the front stoop of the cupcake shop, and and so Bad on. Keanu. And you never see him like mobbed by people. He, he's just allowed to live because he's just out there. And and, and I think that yeah, you're probably onto something. I, I love the book. I, I bought it uh, as soon as I saw that you were releasing it on on LinkedIn several years ago, and uh, and. Uh, it's a great read and an interesting perspective. Obviously, uh, easier said than done, but yeah, it's at some point it has to. There has to be something to it, you know. It, the more you try to hold on to something, the more it slips through your hands, and, and it's, uh, it's a tough exactly. situation. Exactly, and, and that's a um, a great example. I love the sad Keanu memes; those are right. hilarious. Yeah, um, and and interestingly enough. Uh, for a while as as a part-timer i was a stringer for a gossip magazine one of those that you find at the new uh, at the checkout counter at the grocery store and i did the paparazzi i did the red carpet i went to the the clubs and tried to uh, catch the celebrities at their worst and um just to piggyback on what you were saying about keanu a lot of the celebs we're being extremely hypocritical about that concept of privacy. First of all, most of their entire existence and their wealth and whatever else they have is built on the idea of everybody look at me, whether it's a movie, whether it's, you know, uh, having some notoriety, that is first and foremost, why they exist as celebrities. And then second, they're at the red carpet, usually to promote something. Most of the time it's a clothing line or a purse or cosmetics or whatever the hell it is. And I, I would do sort of a jerky thing. I would ask them something real, something that has some meaning in the world outside celebrity. And um, I don't want to name this particular actor, um, but during a previous writer strike, not the one that's going on now, this was a few years back, this actor writer was on the red carpet. And I asked him a question about the writer strike when he was there instead to promote a movie that he was doing. And he got really upset and he went and complained to the publicist. He went and complained to the nightclub owner. And uh, he said, we were told that we wouldn't have to talk about this stuff. This was someone who appeared in public, was paid to appear at that nightclub on the red carpet for their own self-interest, and yet didn't want to answer questions of public interest. And, and I find that dynamic incredibly funny and think and something that should be held up to the light, that we should all see it and look at it and deride it for what it is. Yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy. I mean, and then you think about uh, in the, the age of social media and social influencers, how much uh, there are people that, the phrase I always use is they're famous for being famous. And, and then they're the very same ones that 
that just gets so bothered when anybody, you know, tries to approach them or, you know, they're having a bad day. And I, you know, I get it. I wouldn't want people all over me all the time, but, but yeah, it's, it's funny. But if you want to be famous for being a movie star, don't get pissed at somebody who walks up and asks for an autograph. Absolutely. That's part and parcel of the job, you know? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. But kind of building off the whole uh, privacy thought, uh, there's a great deal of, you know, I'll, I'll say an influx of legislation that's happening throughout the country. And it started you know, overseas and, and GDPR was probably the big catalyst that really brought it here. And then CPA and you build on that and build on that. So uh, I think that uh, on one hand, it's good. People should have the right to be forgotten and, and uh, you know, have some control of their data. That said, how do you feel about this massive uptick in privacy regulation and, and the direction that's heading? It's abhorrent. And, and like you said, I'm with you. There's the best of intentions. And both the lawmakers feel that way. The public feels that way. We should have control of our own data. That's that's what we feel viscerally, and I and I get that, and I'm I'm on board with that. The problem is the implementation. The problem is making a law or regulation that says I can't express myself and talk about somebody else if I choose to, and that's what's so great about the U.S. Constitution and why I think the California law and the New York law will eventually be found unconstitutional and thrown out. Um, if I know something about someone particularly if it's of public interest, if they're a politician, if they're a business owner, I find out they're a racist. I find out that they're uh, a fraud. I find out that they're embezzling money from the public trough. I should be able to broadcast that information far and wide as noisily as possible. Or if I find out that someone's acting in a hypocritical manner, if someone uh, is prosecuting and I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to use the Elliot Spitzer example. If someone's prosecuting sex workers and yet engaging them in their services, we should be able to broadcast that information, expose the hypocrisy for what it is, and be able to use that for public comment and uh, to form and shape public policy. With privacy legislation the way it is, I'm restricted on what I can or cannot share. In Europe, you can't even share a facial photograph of someone if they don't give consent to allow you to take the photograph. That's insane. That is just absolutely crazy. How do you go to a public place and take a picture with a crowd in the background and not capture 100 faces? Do you have to go to 100 people and get their consent to post it on Twitter or Facebook or X or whatever it is? Um, I, I find them really bad. Earlier today, we recorded an episode of Sensuous Sounds, and we actually talked about... Uh, the Illinois law, uh, BIPA, uh, the Biometric Information Privacy Law in Illinois, and how that might lead to the bankruptcy of White Castle, which is a, that's a tragedy of human proportions. White Castle is very near and dear to my heart. Again, it's the lawmakers who wrote a law that was faulty at its core, because while they may have had good intentions, the unintended consequences and the perverse outcomes that it creates have such greater magnitude of effect than anything they would have anticipated. And they're trying to control technology from a legal perspective, and it just don't work that way. Yeah. Easier said than done, for sure. Lots of work to, to come, and I think it's going to get harder before it gets better. 
Uh, yeah, and we're going to keep making more and more laws. We're going to punish more and more people. It's going to be a very dark time while we get over the cusp. Um, I'm just hoping we can do it without hurting ourselves too much. And that's really what the book was about, it was trying to minimize attempts as delaying actions before we get to total knowledge, where we kind of put the stake through the heart of what we considered privacy before. And we go into the next era and and are able to enjoy our freedoms once again. Sure. All right, let's uh, transition just a bit over to the, the training and certification side. So uh, what trends are you seeing around cybersecurity certifications, risk certifications, and, and the movement there uh, in, in terms of uh, career growth, development, breaking into the, the field altogether, and so on? The trends are disturbing to me because uh, they negatively affect my business model. The trends are good. The trends are great for consumers. Um, uh, for content deliverers like me, the trends aren't good. Uh, prices are dropping. Uh, the, the actual official bodies, the ISC squared, ISACA, CSA, they're offering great programs like now. Uh, two for one pricing on cert attempts, that is uh, the amount you pay to go and take the exam. Cheap retrials. Um, uh, much cheaper courses offered in a greater variety of mechanisms. Online, of course, has become the preferred method as opposed to everyone sitting in a conference room for five days at a clip or traveling to go somewhere to get training. Uh, online has been great for the past five years. And the prices keep coming down. The delivery mechanisms and the variety are out there. Uh, they're really wonderful for consumers. For students right now, there are so many options and so many choices you have, many of them free or low cost. Um, it's terrific. It's terrific. And I'm glad that the market's been responsive. And I think the reason is, and this is just me guessing at it, at having been a participant for many years, I think the content delivery entities have started to realize that their market and their pool is much broader than they ever thought it was. They used to have a very small group of people they could sell to. I want to be a CISSP. Good, you're one out of a million. We're going to need to charge you three grand to attend our course because there's only 10 people this year who want that course. Now that there's a thousand people who want the course, well, we can bring the price down. And, and that's, that's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely is easier. And I think there's a different type of, of uh, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, I have some subscriptions to different educational uh, providers. And for me, it's continuing it. You know, I have all these certifications that you have to meet requirements Get your on. Yep. yep. Right. And, and it may not even be a, a topic that I'm all that interested in or I feel is relevant to my direct role or where I want to go, but but it's easy to consume that uh, that information multitasking while you're working on you know, putting together a presentation, just listening to it in the background. And, uh, yeah, so that's good. I don't know that it's the best, and, and everybody learns differently. But but I really have always done best when somebody explains something to me uh, and, and face to face. But but there's no wrong way to learn. Everybody learns a little bit differently. I, I'm right there with you. If if I have an instructor saying it, a good instructor saying it, I it's always stickier than if I stare at a page or a screen and try to digest the information myself. Yeah. Un unfortunately, uh, 
up until recent years, recent years, again, very great for candidates. Up until recent years, a lot of the instructors were very smart in the topic, but not really good presenters. Classroom management was not their forte. And when you have someone dull or repetitive or someone who refused to answer questions about the content, that kind of killed learning in a lot of the fora. Um, today, that's not a problem. We have so many great instructors of, from all over the world, all different languages. It's really terrific. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. And I remember a specific uh, instructor in a course that I took that refused to answer direct questions about the content in fear that they would give an answer that wasn't going to align with the answer that was presented in an exam. It's it's ironic, but it it and that's that takes away from your learning, doesn't it? I mean, it, it you know, it, and maybe it's okay for still trying to pass the test, but it doesn't help your command of the material. For sure, for sure. All right. The the last thing I'll ask about before we uh, wrap it up and I turn you loose is uh, kind of on the same note, but what would you tell a new? Uh, entrant into the cybersecurity field or risk management field, uh, what advice do you give those types of individuals as they're trying to break into to what can be a, a difficult field to get your foot in the door? That's a great question. And, and I actually do get that a lot. I was very honored recently to um, speak at a commencement address for a cohort of young people who took the Perscolis education uh, courses. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Perscolis is an amazing outfit. They give free training, usually to disadvantaged students of all ages. Uh, most of them are high school graduates, some college graduates, some are older. Uh, but many of them have never been in the IT or InfoSec realms before. And this is about the third or fourth time I've given a commencement address for them. And every time I do, I'm powerfully emotionally moved by what they have to say because each of the students gets to speak at commencement too. They're small groups, at maximum like 40 students. And um, they all talk about how they never thought they would be one of us. They never thought they'd be a nerd. They never thought they'd be able to do the job and how the instructors really helped them patiently and brought them through the material and how they're looking forward. They see InfoSec as this great reward as this goal that they've been seeking their whole lives as a way out of the service industry or out of manual labor and and how um, how much opportunity it brings. So I love that. And and I try to share with them, you know, in a span of two minute graduation speech, I try to give them some of that knowledge. And some of the things I say is, first of all, they already did the hard part. They made the choice to come into our field. That's the toughest one. After that, the rest is just paying attention and kind of knuckling down, right? If you can read and understand what you're reading, great. You know, that's 90% of the fight. Um, paying attention, giving up recreation, giving, uh, sacrificing time with your family in order to study, fantastic, right? 90% of it. I also mentioned the fact that we have a very paradoxical relationship among the professionals in our industry. One is we're all paranoid, twitchy bastards, right? We don't we don't look at anything at face value. We're we're the ultimate skeptics because we're always looking at ways to break stuff, and we're always looking for attackers. We're always looking for criminals, and yet among each other, we are the most helpful community you can ever find. If someone if someone knows more about databases or someone knows more about 
uh, software. You can go and ask that person and they're glad to expound on their nugget of wisdom and tell you everything you need to know to do your stuff or to learn what it is you want. We love pointing people in the right direction. We, we are a, a very cooperative community. So I always encourage them to go about doing that, to never try to uh, lone wolf it. There's no reason to. The only time that you'll be suspended from uh, connecting to the internet to get a solution to a problem, the only time you're not allowed to look up in a book what the answer is, is on the exam itself. After that, in the real world, the first thing everyone does, I don't care if you've been at help desk for two years or if you've been uh, the highest paid troubleshooting consultant for 20 years, first thing we do is a web search. Even if we know the answer, we just want to see what other people have done and do kind of a, a little peer review thing. Yeah. So I try to tell them, make use of the resources around you. Don't rely on somebody else to do your work. But on the other hand, don't feel bad about reaching out. Don't, don't feel ashamed to ask the question. If you need the answer, somebody out here is going to steer you the right way. Yeah, and the secondary effect of that is when you start asking those questions, you build relationships and and people remember you. Oh, oh, I, I talked to Ben the other day. He asked a very interesting question, which pleased me to understand that he already has a foundational understanding of this topic that you know we need expertise in. Maybe they're a fit. That that's so important. Building those relationships and being able to cross those borders is that that's key. And, and I love that, that you said that. Networking is not about the OSI seven layer model. It's about knowing each other. Yeah. And, and that is paramount in what we do. Um, and we, we talk about all these technical solutions. And, and again, I'm sorry, I keep referring back to this, but we recorded an episode earlier today and we talked about the Okta breach recently and how hard it was for their business partner to report to Okta that the business partner had observed some fraudulent tokens coming from Okta, cluing Okta in that the breach occurred. And Okta resisted responding for two weeks because Okta had its own sense of, you know, immortality, the invulnerability. Um, they didn't want to hear outside critique. And that's insane. <laughs> if, if they could have responded 14 days prior, you know, with immediacy, they would have been in a much better position to do so. And that's why that personal connection is so important. The technology doesn't do it. I can hit auto report on a tweet or on a Facebook page or on a vendor site. And all that's going to do is add a ticket to a log that's probably never going to be reviewed. But if I can call somebody up at that entity, or if I can send them a message on LinkedIn or whatever it is, and I can say, hey, I saw this thing, you might want to look into it. That's a much deeper, better uh, detection and response mechanism than any automated tool. So yes, I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with you that the interpersonal networking is important, which is one of the reasons I teach. It's a great way uh, to market myself, at some point, every student I have is going to have need of my services. And they're going to hire me to either come in and do training at their company or consulting at their company. And we already know each other and we've had that rapport. So yes, absolutely. That is huge, huge for everybody in our industry. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the time. Ben, want to tell us about uh, Wannabea or, or give any information on what you're involved in so we can share it with the listeners? 
My pleasure, and thank thank for the opportunity. Um, when I started Wanabia, I had been a senior instructor at ISC Squared for a number of years. I'd created some of their official content, including their courseware and a few of their books. Um, and I was disappointed at the way they were approaching their scholastic efforts. They were offering courses in a manner that I thought was kind of a disservice to their students. They said, these are not cert prep courses. These are courses about information security. They're about the industry. And I, and I said, that's not fair. If you're gonna charge them three grand a person because they think that's gonna help them pass the test, then you better help them pass the test or give their three grand back. Um, they also presented the material in a way that was counterintuitive. Instead of going uh, topic by topic through each domain along with the exam outline, the information was all mixed up in a weird order. And that didn't help learning either. Plus they only offered 40 hour courses, which I don't know about you, but the way I learn, at about hour 23, I'm checking out. My brain is full, thank you very much, I'm done for the week. Uh, so I, I thought that didn't serve students right either. So I wanted to go and create my own thing and I wanted to make it cheaper, I wanted to make it shorter, and I wanted to break it up into smaller chunks presented over time, which is what I did. Since then, ISC Squared has upped their game. They've mimicked a lot of the same moves, and they're doing all, all those things much better now. And I applaud them for it. I, I welcome the competition. Um, uh, but uh, I wish I would have beat them to market earlier. That was, that was pretty good. Um, uh, I also offer ISACA courses. I've been CSIM, CISM certified for forever, and I've done training for ISACA before. Uh, so I offer a course on that. Uh, the thing I'm most proud of right now is the Wanna Practice app. Uh, we have a question and answer practice test format app available uh, in the Play Store for Android or on the web at wannapractice.com for any browser-enabled device. And it's got hundreds of questions. I'm adding more every week. I'm going to get it to thousands of questions for about every cert that I have. And... Um, uh, we're going to branch into one or two that I don't have yet, uh, but I'm going to get there. And uh, I'm keeping it cheap. I'm keeping it um, very simple question answer format. And I'm trying to keep all the questions of the highest quality, which is why I'm not just dumping thousands right now. I'm trying to do it. Uh, I have each one peer reviewed and I make sure it gets checked for applicability and cohesiveness and uh, sensibility before I, I go ahead and post it. Uh, so I'm very proud of that, and that's taken off. Uh, we launched that earlier this year, and it's it's a, a, a really neat tool. I, I I think it's great. Yeah, hope uh, hope a lot of people go out and, and take a look at it. Thank you. It's great. All right. Well, again, thanks so much, Ben. First guest here on the Cyber Security Podcast. Happy to have you, and and really appreciate the time that you spent with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Again, another great example of that uh, human inner networking. For sure. For sure. All right. Thanks so much, Ben.